presentation and, and talk about it and um, see what we can see if we can get through here. Um, and just pass the outline out and then um, you can always tuck it away somewhere we'll probably finish it up. parents that were staying with us last week and uh, took them up to D.C. yesterday. They had a fly out um, from Reagan and uh, so I had a good drive and just beautiful on the way home just watching the sunset and everything. It's a gorgeous drive and uh, let's pray for you guys and let you know I agree that and are on our hearts and um, so I uh, pray for this lesson and um, use it in your hearts and he has a line already, um, but um, excited to, to jump in with you guys. So we've been talking, uh, this is week number seven on our little series we're doing on, on righteousness, and um, it's obviously pretty significant in the book of Proverbs. And um, this week, this lesson is uh, hopefully our last one, maybe next week we'll uh, wrap what up, up what we don't get to. Um, but the question we're on now is how ought Christians to pursue righteousness? We said a few weeks ago that since we are believers and dwelt by the Spirit and Christ is worthy and um, fruit is essential and we're commanded to all these reasons we, we ought to devote our lives to pursue righteous living, to pursue bearing good fruit, not as adding to our salvation, but as giving evidence, testimony to, to what's in us. And now the question is, how do we do that? How ought we to pursue it? Um, or you could say, how does our obedience differ from that of unbelievers? Um, what makes our pursuit of righteousness dif different than the Pharisees? Uh, is it, how does it make it different than moralists? Uh, just people who try to live moral lives. Um, so this is really a huge question. That, that we have to get right. We, we must devote our lives to righteous living. But the how, how do we do that? It's very important. We must do it in the gospel way. Uh, we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the letter. And we're trying to flesh out what that, that means. So um, if you haven't looked at your outline, uh, who remembers what were the two things that we said last week? We're given four things total. There was two things we said last week that ought to characterize um, our pursuit of, of righteousness. What were they? you remember either of those? Things that sort of set Christian obedience apart from, from everything else. That's fine. If you look, you can, uh, you can cheat. I'm not sure it's bad, though, because I didn't look at the indwelling of the Holy that's, Spirit. That's, that's right. Yep. That's number one. That's foundational. It's crucial. Um, the, the Spirit, it makes all the difference. The Spirit makes genuine obedience possible. Without the Spirit, those indwelt by the Holy Spirit upon conversion, union with Christ, genuine obedience is impossible. And we talked a little bit about, about that last week, why that's the case. And we said the reason it's the case is because apart from the Spirit, we are enslaved to our sin nature. 
And our sin nature is what? It's not just dislikes God a little bit. Our sin nature is not just, uh, you know, sort of a little bit neutral. Our sin nature is 100% opposed to God. It is enmity towards God. It is hatred and utter rebellion to God. And Paul says that those who are in the flesh, in the sway of their old nature, are unable to please God. Those who do not possess the Spirit cannot. They can do a lot of good things, but it's all done out of a heart that is still at hostility with God. Um, so the Holy Spirit is absolutely uh, essential. But then we said, well, the Holy Spirit is decisive. It's not the only ingredient in sanctification. We don't just sit back and say, okay, great, I have the Holy Spirit now, and now, you know, obedience is just going to flow. You have to have it. It's the essential ingredient, but it's not, it's not everything. We are also commanded to engage our, our wills as we pursue. We are commanded to work. In the same passage, Romans 8 Paul says that those indwelt by the Spirit ought to respond by actively living by the Spirit. He says that um, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you have to fight actively by the Holy Spirit. Which led to our second point. Um, how do we do that? What does that mean? How do I live and walk by the, the Spirit? How do I fight sin by the Spirit? This is the second point. Um, who remembers what it is? Or who sees it on their outline? Um, what is it? We pursue sanctification how? It must be done? By faith. By faith. In the strength of Christ. We live by faith. So we don't just start by faith. We live every day by faith. And not just a general faith, a specific faith. And what Christ has accomplished, Paul says that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he chastised the Galatians, so that's a big part of that letter, yeah. is because uh, he says, how can you, you start it that's right. by faith, yep. but now you're doing everything by works. Yeah, he said, so did you receive the Spirit by faith? Yes, you did. And so are you now being completed by something other than faith? Right? So you receive the Spirit, but we, we continue our life by faith. And what we try to flesh out, it's not just faith in just, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but it's applying that to every facet of my life. It is applying God's Word. Paul, Paul says in Romans 8 that we live by the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. And the things of the Spirit is the Word of God, especially the Word of God as it relates to me, a blood-bought sinner. So how do I fight sin? How do I pursue holiness? It's by faith in specific blood-bought truths and promises for my life. And you see it all through Paul. I mean, how he talks about fighting sin. In Ephesians 4, we didn't have a chance to look at it. He talks about fighting anger and bitterness and clamor and all these things that, that hurt relationships. By remembering, by applying, what did God do for us? He loved us. And he forgave us in Christ because of his kindness towards you. Um, and it's, uh, that's how we're doing it. We're, we're trusting his word. We're wielding his word. The word of the Lord is the sword of the spirit by faith. And putting sin to death and pursuing righteousness by faith. Um, as blood-bought sinners in, in God's word. Um, any questions, comments on those two points before we move on? Yeah. Can I get you to go over? You mentioned something. I, I didn't write everything down. Mm -hmm. 
about our life's a train and the boil yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. and the wood is the... So, uh, and I don't know where I, I... Maybe I stole this from Piper. I'm not sure. I know some of it is. Uh, but we've talked about the, the, the law, the proper use of the law is not as a ladder. That's the misuse of the law. It's not a ladder. It's train tracks. It's never meant to be a way to earn favor with God. It's always meant to be the guidelines whereby to live. But the law, Old Testament and New Testament, doesn't put steam in your engines. The law it doesn't empower you to do anything. The law is merely direction. It's merely guiding you. But the way we approach the law as new covenant people now is not keeping the law in our own strength. We don't run down the tracks of the law by our own power. We are empowered by the steam of the Holy Spirit in our engines. It is what is powering us down the tracks. And we love the law because we love God and it's guiding us. It's showing us how to obey him and love him. Um, but it doesn't empower us. The Spirit empowers us. Well, how does that practically work? How does the Spirit empower us? It empowers us as we put the wood of God's word into our boilers. And how do we ignite that wood on fire? We ignite it on fire by faith. We trust it, and I believe it. And I'm tempted to anxiety. And what do I do? I cast myself on the promises of God's word as a blood-bought sinner. If God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I trust it. And I put sin to death. I fight it by, by faith and, and, and blood-bought promises. And, um, so I think that, that's sort of the, the picture of how, how we live. And you know, take yeah. that a quick step further mm -hmm. uh, is that you, you can that picture of the train and the, and the fire coming in and mm -hmm. going in the right direction. And then you have a caboose at the very end, mm -hmm. which we could say are the emotions. Mm -hmm. And that, that uh, when we're going in the correct direction, we have proper emotions. I mean, we're emotional people, yeah. and it's a part of our life. But we should never have emotions taking us. If you take us in the, that'll take us in the wrong direction if we if we uh, just trust in our emotions. Yeah. That the emotions will come, the, the good, positive, God-given emotions as we go in the proper direction as you're talking That's about. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And if we were perfect people, uh, you know, before the fall, the mind, will, and emotions aren't opposing each other. They, they're all in the right order and everything. They, they're going the way it should. Yeah. We're all mixed up. Sometimes the emotions take the precedent and... I know the right thing to do, but I don't feel like doing it, so I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. You know, it's all it's all messed up. And uh, so how do we pursue sanctification? Paul tells us in Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind. And you, you renew your mind with truth, and then you set your faith upon that truth, and then eventually uh, the emotions are going to follow along. Um, but that's really good because it leads into our next point here. Um, because there there is an emotional component. There, there's a component of delight and desire that has to be there. And that we, that we aim for. So look at our third point here. And we might just get through this this morning, uh, but, but we'll see. The, the third thing that really sets Christian obedience apart uh, from unbelievers, and also the thing that we, we need to be serious about cultivating as we pursue righteousness. So we use the book of Proverbs, all right? This is what we're all coming back to, is we don't just want to use the book of Proverbs moralistically. Well, what does that mean? How do I be protected from doing that? Well, this is another aspect. Christian obedience must be done out of a love for God. What makes our obedience different from unbelievers, people that just do good things out there, an unbeliever can use the book of Proverbs and live a moral life, but what makes our obedience different is that it flows from a genuine love for 
God. Um, this is what guides and motivates our pursuit of righteousness. So, um, next question, logically, is, well, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you pursue righteousness out of a love for God? What does that look like? Um, so, I'm going to give you two things here on your outline. The first thing is that we pursue righteousness out of love for God by delighting in universal obedience. This is the term from Owen. Universal obedience means there's nothing, you're not neglecting anything. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means that the aim of your life is you're... you're you're not just seeking to use our illustration of giving again. I'm not just seeking to give. Yeah, that's part of what I'm commanding. I'm commanding to give with a cheerful heart, right? So we're, we're, we're pursuing universal obedience, the whole package of what God commands of us. Um, and again, we're going to fall short, but, but, but this is our aim. This is what we're aiming at. So we pursue righteousness out of love for God by delighting in universal obedience. It's a careful obedience towards God's law. And that's really the greatest evidence that we know and love him. Look at 1 John. We spent a lot of our time this morning in 1 John. Um, if you've read 1 John, which I'm sure you have, you know this is a book that speaks a lot about love. Um, so look at 1 John chapter 2. We'll start here. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 4. You know, the book of 1 John is giving tests of faith, tests of life. How do I know? He writes that I write these things so that you might know that you have life, that you might know that, that you are truly in Him. So look at this first test that he gives in chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. He says, And by this we know that we've come to know Him, if we are keeping His commandments. Anyone who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And again, John's not talking about perfection. He just said in chapter 1 that if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. <laughs> a evidence of a believer is not that they don't sin, but that they confess it. And that they get back on track. They, they're confessing people. So it's not, he's not talking about perfection here, but he's talking about this direction of desiring to keep his commandments. Uh, lots of people out there say they know God, they love God. Um, John says it all the, uh, many times, he says, um, people say, I know him. Whoever says, I know him. A lot of people say they know him. Uh, but he says the greatest evidence is that you are desiring and pursuing to keep his commandments. Um, hold your finger here and flip to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. What does this have to do with love? John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, it's a love for Christ that drives you to obedience. It's a love for Christ. That's why you're seeking. It's because you love him. And the greatest evidence that you love him is that you're desiring to obey him. Look down at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. 
and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the only possible response of someone who's experienced Christ's love in the gospel is to return the love to him. And we express that by obeying him. So first thing that we're saying is that love to God looks like a careful obedience. I love him. And so I want to be careful to obey him. I want to strive to pursue universal obedience in every way. That's what it looks like. But it goes a little bit beyond this. Love for God looks like carefulness to obey him, but it's not merely cold commandment keeping. Um, it, it, it's more than that. It looks like carefulness to obey his commandments, but it's, 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 it's a little something more than that. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Something more than just cold, okay, I'm just going to keep his commandments. Missing something. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. John tells us what the love of God is. Look, for this is the love of God. Or literally, this is what it means to love God. That we keep his commandments. But he doesn't stop there. Look where he goes. And his commandments are not what? Burdens. Why? Because everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. There's faith in you. Um, so if we're looking for a definition for what it means to love God, it's right here. John gives it to us. This is the love of God. This is what it means to love God, that we keep his commandments in a non-burdensome way. Um, why, did, why is it that we keep it in a non-burdensome way? It's because you overcome the world by being born again and by faith. So I want to bring all this together, help us understand how, how this is working in, in John's mind. But before we do that, we need to think here about, about the world. John says that there's something about the world that makes keeping God's commandments a burden, right? Is that what he says? There's something about the world that makes keeping his commandments a burden. He says commandments are not burdensome because if you've been born of God, you've overcome the world. In other words, if you haven't overcome the world by the new birth, his commandments are going to be there's something about the world that makes commandment keeping a burden. Why? What is the world? How does John describe the world? Think about it. Chapter 2, verse 15. Look over there. You know this verse. Do not love the world. Love. Love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world... Look, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love God and the world at the same time. Well, why? It's because all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. He says that those who love the world cannot love God because these two things are contrary. So what does it mean to love the world? What do you think? He just told us what it means here in chapter 2, verse 15. What does love for the world mean?
Yeah. Yeah. Good. 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 So if those things are dominating your life, yeah. Yep. Those are dominating your life. You will not be able to love, to love God. Um, so I think the love of the world here means it's the world's value system is governing your life. The desires of the world is governing your life. It's a desire thing. Love the world means you delight in what the world delights in. And if you do that, you, you can't love God because they're contrary. God, what the world delights in is against what God delights in. So what does it mean to love God? If the love to love the world means you delight in the things of the world, what does it mean to love God? I think it means the exact opposite. You delight in what? You delight His in values. the things of God. I think that's what it means. The love of God is not just cold commandment keeping, but it is an affection. It is a delight in God. It's a treasure in God. Whereas the world was your treasure, now God is your treasure. And that's only able to happen. You're only able to be broken free from that enslavement to, I love stuff. And I love boasting in the stuff that I got. The only way you can be freed from that is by faith and, and being born again by the Spirit. And now that that's happened, um, you have new affection. God's your treasure. And He is the one that you love. And that's why His commandments are not burdensome. Um, because you're free from the world. So just think about it. Think of giving again. All right, We keep coming back to this illustration. What makes giving, the command to give, a burden? Well, it's because I love the world. I love holding on to my stuff. Right? And I love boasting and how much money I got in my bank account. Right? It's a burden. If I am enslaved to the love of the world, it's burdensome. But if you've been born again, again, it doesn't mean there's no fight going on. There's a fight, but there's a new desire. That's not what I'm living for anymore. It's not what I love. What I love now is God. And I love God's people. And that's mm -hmm. what's controlling my life. Yeah, you go back to Psalm 1. Uh, you know, uh, Verse 2, it says, but his delight, yeah. the, the word delight, mm -hmm. is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. Good. Right. And then the result is what verse 3 says, you can treat, and you're staying away from what verse 1 says. You know, that's the, the counsel, yeah. Uh, value systems and the whole worldview of the yeah, yeah. 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 But that word delight, yeah, you know, that's right. You know, we see that word pop up there, you know, in the scripture. Yep. So. It's huge, it's yeah. huge. And so that's really, I think, one of the main things from this point is that as we're going through Proverbs and as we're pursuing righteousness, it's not cold obedience. Yeah, there's going to be obedience, and yeah, we're going to be opposing the sinful desires of our flesh that are pushing against us. We still love the world because that flesh still holds on. But there's a new desire. There's a new power in there. I love God. And His desire, His commandments are not burdensome because we've overcome the world. The world's not what controls us. So that, what does it mean to love God? I think that that's the first thing. It is a delight in his person, which brings a delight in his commandments. But it's not complete. There's another thing it means to, to love God here. We pursue righteousness out of a love for God by genuinely loving others, especially believer, believers. So the previous point said that we truly love God when we so delight in his commandments that we do them, not like a burden, but joyfully. And this point tells us actually um, what his commandment is. John tells us that any true love for God 
will find its expression, how? In a love for man. A lot of people say they love God and they just do the religious exercise. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray. John says the greatest evidence and test that you love God is that you sacrificially love especially the brothers. Love for God is not just cold obedience to his commandments. That's what we saw in the previous point. But here we're saying it can't be separated from a genuine love for his people either. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. We're still in chapter 5 here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Faith, first evidence of the new birth. And everyone who loves the Father loves who? Everyone who's been born to the Father. New birth will create a true love for God, and a genuine love for God is evidence how in a love for others. Look up to chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, there is John saying again, if anyone says, a lot of people say this, I love God. I, I, I go to church. I, I, I give offering. I do all these things. I love God. And hates his brother doesn't show sacrificial love to his brother. That's not what's characterizing his life. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So our pursuit of righteousness must not neglect its core. That, that's what the problem of Pharisees was, right? In Matthew 23, Jesus is given these woes of the Pharisees, and he says, you do all these things, you, you tithe mint, dill, cumin, all these finite little aspects that the law doesn't even command. They go above and beyond it. And he says, but you've neglected the weightier parts of the law. Love, injustice, and mercy. And Jesus says, these things you should have done was not without neglecting the others. So it's not to say that the, the external things of uh, obeying God or uh, going to church or your Bible are unimportant, but that it is only genuine if it is at heart first mixed with a love for others and for God's people. Um, but before we move on, here in, in chapter 5, John really um, clarifies what it means to love others. So first he clarified what it means to love God. It's not just cold commandment keeping. It's obeying God with a desire. And love for God is not just loving God by doing the religious things, but it's combined with a true sacrificial love for others. But now John flips it. Um, he wants to make sure that we don't understand what we mean by loving others. Look what he says in verse 2. So, so, so verse 1, he first says, this is how we know we love God when we love others. And he flips it in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You see that? So how do we know that we love God is when we love others. Well, then how do I know that I genuinely am loving another person? John says it's when we love God. He flips it. A lot of people in the world think that they're loving. A lot of people say, well, I'm a loving person. Um, worldly people, unbelievers, can give food to the hungry. They can uh, give clothes to the naked, money to the needy. They can do good and sacrificial things to people. But John says that that is not love. Look what he says. This is how we know we love others, the children of God, when we love only love for others that's combined with the love for God, that loves God, God's commandments, that treasures God's person, that is the only time you can truly show love to others. Um, the world, 
does all these good things to others, but it's not God-centered. It's not leading people to love God. It's making people comfortable on their way to hell. And that's not love. John says true love for others is combined with the desire to lead other people to know God. It's combined with the desire to show God's commandments to others. So it's God-centered love. So these are the two points, and they're really inseparable. Delightful obedience in God's commandments cannot be separated from our love to others. If we say we love God and we don't love others, it's false. And, John says, love for others can't be separated from the delightful obedience in God's commandments. Oh, I love people. I do lots of good things for people, but I, I don't really delight in obedience to God, nor do I delight in helping others to know God. John says these two belong together. Love for God requires a love for man. And a love for man requires a love for God. Question? Okay. Um, So put it this way. Only believers who've been born again can love God and man. Because only true love for man um, has a love for God. And only love for God is a love for man. Any question I thought I saw? Very good. Um, So this is the point. As people who are born again... Genuine obedience is possible because we do it from a love for for God. And our point is that we must strive for this. Yes, it's true. This is what characterizes us. John says, if you're a believer, love is what characterizes you. But John also goes on to command believers to love. It's what we're commanded to pursue. So that's what we're going through the book of Proverbs. As we're pursuing righteousness and obedience, we must be careful to make sure it's mixed with a delight in God's commandments and a sacrificial love for others. John says that is what true obedience looks like. Um, flip over to John, 1 John 3.10. He really gives the summary statement here. 1 John 3.10. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's two things. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Or to say it positively, only those whose lives are characterized by a pursuit of righteousness. Again, not perfection, but I want to keep his commands. I love God. I want to pursue moral holiness and conformity to the will of God. And, he also says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, Say it positively, also one who loves his brother. That's it. It's two things. What does it mean to love God? It means you delight in his commandments, you want to pursue righteousness, and you have genuine love for others. That's combined with a love for God. Things have to be held together. So that's the third ingredient that is necessary as we pursue righteousness, as we pursue the book of Proverbs. We're not just after cold moral conformity. Yeah, we're going to be opposing our flesh, but it's coming out of a love for God. And where does that come from? We love, why? Because he first loved us. And that's going back to our previous points. We're obeying, we're pursuing this. I'm a strength in Christ. Faith in his love to us. He loved me. And he gave himself up. This is what Christian obedience looks like. Um, Grab your outline and flip it over to the back. I have some diagnostic questions, and we'll go through the through some of these this morning, and then next week we'll conclude it when we finish the the lesson. But just a few things to take home and chew on. Um, Questions I've been asking myself this week and encourage you just to meditate on. 
think about. Number one is, am I devoted to and pursuing righteous living, or am I just coasting? Am I, am I fighting for this? Am I after this? First question to ask is, what do I pray for? Are my prayers filled with requests for righteous fruit in my life and in the lives of others? A lot of the passages that we've looked at, especially in Paul, are prayers. Paul prays for many things, but one of the main things he prays for is that the believer's fruit would abound. Is that what characterizes my prayers? Do I pray that I would be more fruitful? Do I pray, Lord, increase my love for you? Increase my fruit, that I would be more fruitful, that you would expose my sin, that I would see my sin and, and, and be able to turn and become more like you. Is that what my prayers are? Are they, or are they merely worldly prayers about comfort and other things? Again, nothing wrong. We're to bring all our requests to the Lord. Everything. Um, whether it's physical or, or, or not, but do I neglect this? Do I neglect praying uh, for these things? Um, some texts here you can go look up. All of them are prayers that Paul prays for fruit. Number two, do I actively seek righteousness? Do I fight sin where I see it? Do I seek to replace it with, with righteous works? Uh, am I actively doing that or am I passive? The third thing, am I eager to point out for others to point out shortcomings in my life because I long to grow. That's the evidence that you've hung for righteousness. I want you to correct me. <laughs> Please correct me. Show me. Because I want to be pleasing to God more. So that's the first question. Am I devoted to uh, righteous liberty? Next question is, do I actively live by the Spirit in the strength of Christ? Is my reading of Scripture mechanical? Check it off the list. It's the next thing to do. Or do I come to the scriptures in order to be brought under the influence of scriptures? Just like alcohol, the person who drinks it, he's under the influence, he's controlled by alcohol. Same way, you drink the scriptures, you're under the influence. That's what's controlling you. Is that what I'm after when I, when I read and study? Do I study it so that my sin can be exposed? Do I study scripture so that my mind can be shaped? So that God's values, God's desires can fill my heart. Is that what I'm after? Or is it just mechanical? We want to do it by the Spirit and the strength of Christ. Do I fight sin and pursue obedience by faith in specific blood-bought promises? Or do I just say, I'm just not going to sin. I'm just going to do it by my own strength. We fight by faith. That's how we do it. And faith set on specific promises. And then do I daily swim in the truth of the gospel that Christ loved me and gave himself for me? Is that what I'm chewing on, meditating on, rejoicing in as the ground of my hope? for anything in my sanctification. That's where I start. And Paul did it move on. He said, I, I daily live by faith in this. And number three, this is where we were this morning. Do I pursue sanctification out of a love for God? Has obedience become a drudgery and burdensome and not a delight? If it has, you go back and examine what part of the world is holding on to me. Why is it burdensome? It shouldn't be burdensome. If it is, it means the world has got a hold somewhere in my heart. I've got to repent of it. How is the world and all of its desires controlling me? If I'm born again, it shouldn't be what's controlling me. It shouldn't be a drudgery. It should be a delight. Again, doesn't mean there's no fight. There's a fight there, but there's a new controlling desire. 
Have I ceased to delight in righteousness because I've been lured by the world to delight in its values instead? Does my pursuit of obedience lead me to love others more or less? Right? Uh, am I content thinking I love God because I do all the spiritual things? I pray and I read my Bible, all these good things I should do. But does it lead me to love others less? If it does, it might not really be that much love to God. You know, I'm down doing the spiritual thing, praying, and someone, you know, comes, knocks on my door, bothers me, and I get angry. Well, obviously not loving God in the moment. If I was, I would be loving the, the person uh, who is disturbing my spirituality, right? Um, do I pursue universal obedience, or do I pick and choose which commandments to take seriously? That's the evidence of love for God. And then finally, is my love for others mixed with the love for God? Yeah, I should love others, but what does true love for others look like? It looks like a love for God, His glory, and His commandments. Do I seek to love others by leading them to love God more? Helping others to pursue God more and, and to obey Him more? So, a uh, lot of questions, and uh, take home, chew on it, and uh, do heart surgery. And I will be doing the, the same thing as well, because we want to pursue obedience. We want to do it the gospel way. We want to not neglect our hearts as we as we do it. So it is ten sixteen. Any any questions, comments, thoughts on on what we what we have here? Next week we will um, wrap it up by just thinking on the, the final thing. It must be done to the glory of God. Um, our goal in obedience is, is to God's glory, and that's what we're after um, in Proverbs. Um, so, yeah. Any thoughts? If you have any questions or comments or uh, anything you disagree with, whatever, um, let me know. Let's talk about it. And uh, we'd love to, love to hear. So, great. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for saving us. You've not just forgiven us of our sins, which is a massive mercy, but Lord, you have made us a part of Christ. Jesus loved us and he gave himself up for us. Let us live by faith in that. Let us live by confidence that your spirit indwells us. And Lord, that we would actively live by the spirit as we set our minds on the things of the spirit, as we fill our boilers full of the word of God and trust it and pursue you by faith and everything that Christ secured for us by his blood. And Lord, that our obedience to you would be mixed with love for you. Oh Lord, forgive us for treating your commandments as a burden. Lord, we love the world so much still, and when we do that, we can't love you. Help us to fight the world. Put it to death, Lord, and that we repent where your commandments are not joyful and delightful. That they wouldn't be a burden, but we would delight in it, Father. Help us to pray, and help us to pursue truly loving others by sacrificially loving them out of a love for you. Let us not be content to have love for God without others, or love for others without a love for God. Lord, we need you, and it's all for your glory. Christ is worthy of this kind of life. Help us, Lord, to pursue it. In Jesus' name.